Hi, this is Mark. Hello, this is Matt. And welcome to our podcast, Lessons from the Field, where we talk with staff members from the Austin Independent School District about teaching and learning in our community. Our discussions focus on various education topics and how they impact and empower teachers and students. Hey, Matt, it's my favorite time of day again. Yes, sir. It is my favorite time of day, too. I'm so excited to be recording another podcast episode this week. That's right. It's Lessons from the Field. We're recording this on a Thursday afternoon. This is right as the this wonderful winter ice storm in mid-February is hitting us. And so the weather's getting a little bit treacherous out there. Well, our next guest is a middle school teacher. And I had the pleasure of meeting her maybe three or four years ago as a novice teacher. I'm real excited to have our dialogue with her today. So Jen, at this point, I'm going to invite you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Mark. I am a sixth grade science and STEM teacher at Mendez STEM Academy, and I started my teaching career at Mendez, and I'm still there. I love our community. I love our students. I love our staff, and I love how I've been able to grow throughout my time at Mendez. And so, Jan, are you from the Austin area or Texas area? Or So I grew up in Houston. That's where I spent most of my time. Um, prior to that, I've lived uh, in a few other places. But K-12, I was in Houston for Texas school system, if you will. And then I briefly moved to Georgia, and then I moved back to Austin to finish my degree at the University of Texas. So I've been here ever since. I moved to Austin in 2010. Oh, so that's a really interesting story. Um, thank you for sharing that, Jen. And yes, that that's amazing that you were able to spend a little bit of time in Georgia and then come back to Texas. So that's a really cool story. So to get us started with our conversation today, um, what we want to do is kind of just open up the floor for you and just give you an opportunity to um, share with us a little bit about uh, what your current reality looks like um, working with students. And it's interesting because as we're recording this podcast is Mark said, it's the middle of February, and we're already coming up on a year of being in this environment. So kind of just want to hear your thoughts today on how things are going for you and your students. I try to ask myself every week, if not every day, and the question is this, and how are the children? At the end of the day, I have to remember that I am speaking and connecting with tiny humans that are growing and going through this experience, this global pandemic in their own small way and in large communal ways too that are obvious to even those who are not in education, right? And so right now, uh, most of my students are learning virtually. I would say about 80% to 90% given the week and what's happening with the city are still choosing to learn from home. And so when I connect with my students, the first thing I have to ask and connect with them on is how are you? We know the brain science around learning. We know that if you are in a heightened fight, flight, or freeze response, that forming new memories, retaining new memories isn't going to be possible. And so if a student is in a home environment or in a situation that is creating stress, it's going to be very challenging, not only to adapt and learn a new technology and learn a new modality of learning, but to retain anything at that juncture. So I have to take the whole child child in perspective. So most of this year, I spent time building and growing connections and relationships because those places are where the students can meet me and then I can get them what they need with the science uh, science content. So in that way, I've spent a lot of time just trying to find creative ways to 
to make my students feel heard, seen, valued, uh, which is challenging, especially when a lot of the Zoom virtual meetings are a lot of black screens with their name, but there are beautiful ways you can still connect in that way. So something else I've been thinking about is doing more with less. There are rich places we can go academically and we can get really deep with things and we can go and do amazing projects and do more with smaller amounts of information. We wouldn't ask a kindergartner to be proficient at coloring inside the lines after seven or eight months? Why would I anticipate that a student who has acquired a computer for the first time in their own personal possession to suddenly be proficient at some of the skills we take for granted if we've especially had access to those things for so long? So with that grace in mind, I'm trying to build and scaffold a community of learners where it's the power of yet. I would rather my students leave at the end of the year knowing they could master some and they mastered some concepts really well and they're confident. Listening to my students talk about things we talked about in October and September and having them light up when they remember and can recall exactly what those things are and what that means. And then I remind them, hey, that was something we learned back in September and October and it's February and it's still with you. You're an amazing scientist. We can do this. And so I think about doing more with less means that I know this pandemic is going to have a cost and we are finding those costs in lots of ways that aren't always quantified in spreadsheets and data and scores. And if I know that there will be a cost, I then have to decide what is the experience and what do I want my students to remember at the end of the year? There are some givens that are obviously going to be there from the kids saying, I really wish I was at school and got to sit and have lunch, right? Those are known costs, things that we know our kids are missing. We know that some of our students are experiencing loss in a lot of different ways, but we have this power as educators to think, okay, there's a lot of noise and let's just pay it down to here we are today. And these are the few things I want you to feel confident about today. So if you end sixth grade science thinking that you're an expert on these five, six, seven, eight things, instead of maybe 15 things, you left with self-efficacy intact. I can keep building and growing students who have self-efficacy in science. But if we ripped through all this content because I felt the pressure and the need, I'm the adult in the room. I can say we can stop. We can slow down. I can meet your needs because if a student leaves sixth grade and they don't feel confident and they don't feel like they're going to be successful, and I hope we're not in this situation, but what if the fall is something like this again? Then we're going to go back to having to repair even more. And um, I would rather have my students leave sixth grade science this year feeling like scientists, even if it means that we are going to make a strategic plan as educators next year to figure out how do we meet their needs again. And I think that's our superpower is educators. We have to meet our kids. We have to be with them and we have to be willing to go with them at the pace where they're at when we're experiencing this collective trauma together. So I ask myself every day, how are the children today? And that's where I start. Yeah. And that's so interesting because there, there's a lot to unpack there. And I'm hoping, you know, with the time that we get to spend with you today, that we'll be able to talk about some of the things that you've said in that response. But one of the things that I think is really resonating with me is that whole doing more with less. I know with going online, it can be an incredible challenge 
to be able to engage students. And it feels like implementing, you know, curriculum and instruction takes twice as long online than it would be in person. And so I'm, I'm wondering, can you share with us a little bit about what your process is like for engaging students in an online environment? So we know in an in-person environment, what research has told us is effective. We don't yet have data and what is going on with this pandemic exactly what is effective in a virtual teaching environment. So I believe that leads a lot of teachers. We're doing a lot of trial and error. We're being our own scientists. We're doing our experiments and trying to control the environment enough to see, is this working for my students today? So what I've been doing consistently to help me make decisions on how I engage students in the virtual environment is I've been asking them questions and surveying them and being honest. At no point in my teaching career have I ever been 100% virtual. This is new. I'm not new to Mendez. I'm not new to teaching, but that vulnerability and being honest with your students, and it gives them space to realize, hey, okay, she's learning too. She is coming at this with some grace too. And so asking my students and asking them what they need, what they want, what's working for them, asking them what technologies they're already comfortable with. Can you navigate this? Do you know how to work Google Docs or Google Slides or Padlet or the, there's an amazing amount of resources that what this pandemic has created is the ingenuity of people coming to solve so many problems technologically. But that doesn't mean that I need to overwhelm my students with every new, amazing, shiny thing online. So I ask my kids, and then you can't just ask your kids, what is it that I'm doing that you like? What is it that I'm doing that is helping you learn? And what is what am I doing that's not helping? And they will tell you, if you have built up a relationship with your students, they will be honest with you. But the catch is you have to respond to it. You can't just collect information and say, okay, great, I heard you. But if, if you don't mark it, that, okay, remember, you told me that this wasn't working. So here's my second go. And the second go may not work, but I'm not giving up. I hope you won't give up. So one of the things we know in an in-person classroom is we know structures and routines, especially for middle school students, really support their sense of safety. And so I have a structure and routine. I start with dignity and I end with dignity, which is something that I think a lot of teachers were doing in person and are still doing online. And it's something very simple. If it's clear, if the students know exactly what's in, what to anticipate and they know how they can get started and they've built this relationship with you, they'll go with you. But I also, at the same time, I'm again, that idea of do more with less, I have pared down to what websites and technologies work for me because we know that if I try to implement something that I don't feel comfortable with, the students are really quick to see through that. And that's not going to work out for me or them. So let's not go down that road. So I think it's okay like to have teachers to be honest with themselves and say, okay, I really would like to do this. This is a really neat tool, but I don't know how. And that's okay to give yourself permission to take that off your toolbox list. We don't need to cultivate that today. So I've pared it down to a few technology resources that seem to work for my students. And they may not work for every group of students, but because I feel comfortable with them and I can navigate them, my students are willing to trust me and work through it. And so we stick to those routines and we continue to work through our content and questions and inquiry-based learning using the same tools over and over. So once we were able to get through the initial shock of copying and pasting and whatever else that comes that we take for granted in the first month or two months of school, and I went really slow because I didn't want any student to lose content on the basis of technology literacy. And so once that hurdle, we overcame that hurdle collectively together, then I said, okay, let's go. And so instead of having a hundred questions in the chat about, okay, wait, do I click here or there? It just 
became awesome. So what are we learning about today? What questions do you have today? And so my classroom, how my virtual classroom setting, whether it's my science class or my STEM class, there are some marked deliverables. We're going to express our learning in certain ways. We're going to share about our learning as a community in certain ways. And we've continued those routines because everything outside of this Zoom we're having is volatile. Whether we're in stage four or five or whether things are closed or open or the weather, the infamous snow days, whatever we're at, things are volatile. And so I think with our students, we have to remember that we have to create routines and a sense of safety. And so go with what you know as an educator. It's okay if you're sitting here as an educator thinking, man, I really wish I could do that really cool thing. No worries. Summer is coming. We're going to take a collective breath together. You can learn it. But today, maybe not today. Maybe this is not the week. And trust your kids. They will help you peel back all the layers and figure out what is working and what's not working. As long as you listen and take their advice and mark that you're changing your instruction. Jen, I'm fascinated just hearing you talk. And there's so many different directions that I would love to take this conversation. But in your response to what I just heard, I'm going to choose this path for now. So I love how you talked about modifying the curriculum, if you will, to meet the kids' needs and less is more. Can you share a little bit about any collaboration that may be going on at your campus, either within your specific department or as a collective, and the kind of supports that are in place for teachers and students? Uh, and if you even want to go to families and communities, feel free to go ahead and elaborate even to that point. Oh, what a lovely question. So something that has been bringing me joy this year, despite all of the challenges is that a colleague and myself, uh, she's a math teacher at Mendez. We applied to be a part of a cohort through RICE that is an amplified math and science program. And typically it's not open to folks that don't live in the Houston metro area, but we were able to wiggle our way in with the belief that it was going to be on Zoom. And if it wasn't on Zoom, we would just do the three hour drive and make it work. And so what's been really lovely about that collaboration is the whole focus of that collaboration is to do inquiry-based learning that is interdisciplinary. And at our school, it is a requirement to deliver our lessons in a PBL or problem-based or project-based format, which is wonderful. In that vein, inquiry-based learning really starts with asking a question and the students exploring and developing their own questions on how they need to take their learning forward. So it puts the student in a place where they're an independent learner and not a dependent learner waiting for the teacher to continue to provide information or knowledge or what have you. So what's been really wonderful about that is because of that program, we were able to advocate for a cohort model of some students that we wanted to try integrated interdisciplinary PBLs across math and science. So what does that practically look like? It means that right now, all of my students are working through a PBL about amusement parks. And we're talking about the physics of roller coasters and calculating the speed of a water slide and imagining we're going to the X Games and a skate park and all of those different pieces. And what's wonderful is that my colleague who's in the math department, we we meet every week to discuss what are the necessary skills that bridge across. Because if we're going to do more with less, I don't want to be in my silo and doing what I'm doing and struggling because I'm struggling in my own way. And she doesn't want to be in her silo and struggling in her own way. What we have found that when we bridge that gap and say we need to have these conversations, what are the things we want our students to come away with at the end of the year? What are sustainable, transferable skills? I know it'd be great if you understood this exact 
piece of information, but a transferable skill is the ability to make inferences, to think critically, to problem solve. So if I'm going to work with my colleagues, what do we want to make sure our kids understand. So what's lovely is that all of her content is either directly embedded in the PBL that we're doing together, or she is bolstering it as like a pillar lesson on the side so that the kids are seeing these connections that they have both of us as their teacher. They're seeing, oh, I literally was just talking about graphing. I was just learning about that. And now you're telling me we're here and we're learning about, we're going to graph speed, which is within my domain. And they see that bridge. And so I think, especially for my sixth graders coming from an elementary school environment where they have maybe one content teacher, if it's a contained classroom, maybe two, and it's differentiated. This idea of eight classes is utterly overwhelming and thinking about logging in and maintaining it's a lot of executive functioning skills to ask for an 11, 12 year old to maintain. So the, it's almost a relief for students because they understand this is where I, what I'm learning. This is the content and it connects because that's how real life is anyway. So I really have appreciated that ability and the trust that my administrators had in allowing us to build this cohort for at least two classes. We weren't able to work it through all the classes, but at least two classes. And it really is paying off because guess what? You have this cohort of kids, which for sixth grade is very akin to having a homeroom teacher and they're building connections. I have students who we're doing restorative circles as part of our routine every week to two weeks or so. And they're sharing deep things about what's going on on in their family. And that comes because we're consistently building these connections, not just academically, but social emotionally, because we have this group of students that are working through this one project together. And I think that really is important because if we are in our silos, this is going to be an insurmountable process to get through. But if we communicate and connect, it simplifies it for the kids. You want to give a shout out? Who's your colleague? Go, go ahead. Oh, yes. Yes, I would love to. Her name is uh, Miss Ebony Walker Bird, and she's a fantastic stellar math teacher at, at Mendez Middle School. Yeah, very nice. And wow, it, it almost makes me think, I'm like, man, if I was in sixth grade, I would love to take your class. <laughs> that is very neat. Um, we actually um, recently had a CTE teacher on our podcast. And at the time this episode is going to be released, his would, would have already gone public as well. And so one of the things I just find fascinating is that you did speak a little bit to this, and I'm curious about this question. So I'm wondering how have your students, or I'll say it like this, how do you kind of establish an environment for them coming from fifth grade into the middle school level, right? And, you know, Mark and I have this in common where we were both middle school teachers. I was a middle school teacher for one year and Mark spent, you know, basically all his career as a middle school band director. And so I'm just always fascinated with those transition grades, right? Like fifth to sixth and then eighth to ninth. And so I'm kind of just curious to hear your thoughts around how you develop that for that environment for your students. I think that sixth grade is like a gatekeeper year as much as ninth grade is a gatekeeper year. I believe at least just from observational data over the last few years that when you have a strong foundation in place for sixth grade social, emotionally, academically, that will help them carry and transition. Because we know that the students are going through different growth spurts and patterns, and they're learning about themselves. And so they're finding out who am I, they're getting their foot wet, if you will, their toe deep in abstract thinking, they're trying on different feelings about their identity. And that is a tumultuous time. I don't think I've met anyone that recalls their middle school years and goes, that was a really wonderful time in my life. I let, I, yes, for a million dollars, I would do it again. 
can, please. And complete with acne and all the other weird hairstyles and clothes we all tried, right? So I think that in mind, middle schoolers are managing a lot and they're not just managing a lot emotionally and mentally. They're managing just the logistics of transitioning to this giant campus where now they they were the top of the food chain, if you will. Now they're at the bottom and it's confusing. And so I think when you have a sixth grade team in place that is really strong and building community and connection, the students will find their home, their place. They will feel like they belong. Everyone just wants to feel like they are heard, seen, and valued. And we have to work really hard that they don't get lost in the display of hundreds of kids that are now on, on campus. So I think as a sixth grade teacher, we have to have a lot of conversations and we have to keep our finger on the pulse that we don't have students who fall through the cracks. It's hard going from this environment where one of the things as a sixth grade teacher is a struggle in the very beginning of the year is that a lot of students in fifth grade, there's a different experience they have with their teacher, maybe because they're self-contained. So they have the same person for long amount of time. So naturally that relationship, that trust is going to feel safe and it's going to build quickly versus perhaps maybe in a middle school environment, they now only see this adult for 90 minutes, hundred minutes every other day or 45 minutes a day. And oh my goodness, every single teacher has different routines and ways they teach. And that is confusing and I'm navigating that. And so I think the very beginning of that year, part of our work as sixth grade teachers is helping students make that transition. And it's in a firm, but loving way. I like to tell my students, I was like, we got to level up. I love you, but we got to level up. Like this is now something that we're going to get better at. And maybe today this is a struggle, but we're going to set a goal here because this is something we can't do anymore. And so we, we kind of have to look at what are those again, transferable skills students need in order to ultimately transition into a career path that makes them feel um, like they're valuable and contributing in a way that brings out their passion. And so helping students become independent learners, that is the work of a middle school teacher. It's the work of every grade level. But we don't want students that are dependent and wanting you to hold their hand and work through it. We want them to feel loved, supported, but to be brave and courageous. And that takes time to build that self-efficacy, especially when students haven't felt a lot of success in the academic world. It doesn't mean that they didn't come to class or to school that day with something beautiful to give. We just have to work with them where they're at. But it, it can, a lot of sixth graders, the first two months or so, they're always like, yeah, so many rules and I don't understand. And it's a lot going on. And like, I'm just watching the clock. In a few months, we're going to be gelling. We're going to be going and everything's going to be good. But it can feel like a shock for a lot of kids. But we're there. So I think they're gatekeepers. They're transitional years. And you have to have a team in place that is ready to work fluidly and with the students and together. Otherwise, it, it, it shows. It shows when you don't set the foundation. Yeah. And like Matt said, as a middle school teacher, I can appreciate that that community to help bridge them into adulthood. You know, a lot of people are either I can, oh yeah, I'm dedicated middle school teachers or, or people are like, there is no way I will deal with those children at that age. The littler ones in elementary are better or I want the mature high school kids. So made a lot of real good points, Jen, I think in, in that last response. And again, I'm thinking, I'm fascinated. I, where do I want to take this conversation? But I'm, I'm going to go here. You're probably one of the most positive people that we've talked to on our podcast. Just just in general, not that other people are negative, but just, just your approach and the positivity that's behind what you're saying and the sincereness behind what you're saying is outstanding. I mean, it's blowing me away. So my question is this, can you talk us through from March of last year through now, 
some of the challenges that maybe have come up? I know you mentioned briefly technology and sort of scaffolding technology with kids, but any other challenges that maybe have even turned into opportunities where in a virtual environment, I've learned this because of these obstacles or challenges? So I definitely do believe that there have been challenges and I definitely, I think about what do I want to give my kids? And when I first became a teacher, I was overwhelmed and feeling like I was not good enough and feeling very frustrated that here I am and I'm a science teacher and I want to do labs and experiments. And I'm not even sure if we can get the warm up done today because I was still working through classroom management and building relationships and learning about my community so that I could be culturally responsible to my students and their needs, right? And so I think about what one of my mentors asked me that year. She said, well, what are your three goals? What do you want your students to walk away with? Now, I know you would like for your kids to be in stations and differentiated, and you want them to be doing this lab and this over here. But at the end of the day, what is really at the heart of things? And one of the things I said is I really want my students to feel joy. I want them to feel joy because learning should feel like joyful expression of how your mind is expanding. It should feel good. It should be inviting. It should be a space you want to continue to build that community and to learn. And so at the end of the day, whatever the challenge that may have come up in class or administratively, we now have a new requirement that might be hindering us as I think to myself, I have one shot today with my students to create space that makes them feel joy. And I want that to be a goal. And so I do, I want them to be learning science. I want them to be growing in their scientific thinking. But if everything else has gone haywire, I just want them to remember that this is a place where we can laugh, we can be seen, and we can be our whole selves. So I think with some of the challenges that people talk about, we I think everyone is aware of the infamous black screen. But something I like to point out that is really special about virtual learning is that typically in the classroom, if a student wants to speak to me, they got to do one of these. They've got to raise their hand. And if you teach middle schoolers, especially sixth graders coming from fifth grade, they got to raise their hand and shake it and get your attention. And they can't wait because they have to speak to you now. But in virtual world, they can chat me right away and I can chat 10, 12 kids and they have no idea. I'm sending this kid a chat and I'm sending this kid a chat and I'm sharing my screen over here with this kid. And so I know that virtual learning is challenging, but in some ways I've made connections with students that in the typical classroom that might have been too shy to even speak up. And that's significant because I, in some ways I'm seeing more of my students. I'm communicating more with my students. And that I think is really significant and we can't lose sight of some of the advantages that we do have in virtual learning. But it's every week though. If you're thinking about challenges, it is every week a student of mine is telling me they've lost someone. Every week. And so I have to think of my second goal or the second thing that I want to have with my students and that's empathy. And so I have to have empathy and I have to listen and I have to hear them and I have to believe them. And so if we can't have joy today, I at least want to listen. Because if I were to say that every day was a day of joy would, would not be the reality my students are experiencing experiencing right now. It's not the reality a lot of Austinites are feeling right now. I have some students that have lost more than one family member in four months. So there is grief and it wouldn't be okay to have this joy if it was just toxic positivity. If we didn't acknowledge that there are days when the grief and the pain and the sadness is very real. And so I allow my students to go there and hold space for that too. I think the important part is that we don't shame ourselves and shame the children for when 
we or they or wherever doesn't meet whatever that mark is because the mark's arbitrary right now, in my opinion. The mark, whatever that bar, whatever target, it's arbitrary, especially in the face of great loss. And so I feel like we have to remember that when we are experiencing these challenges of like, what is at the core? I want joy. I want empathy. And I want for us to do some science in whatever way I can bring that to you today. That's where we're at. If that means you ran through your house and grabbed a hairdryer and a pack of food and we're talking about that, that's what we're doing. I had one student record himself making spaghetti while he talked about the energy transformation of spaghetti. I have another student who's in the building who's like, I can't grab anything. I was like, let's play I Spy. And he was just running his camera like, look at this. Look at this is what I found. I was like, science is all around you. And in some ways, what's really amazing about being a science teacher is that okay, the great loss is that I don't have access uniformly for all my students to have lab supplies. And teaching at a Title I school, I do have the majority of my students don't have the ability to acquire all the different supplies and things we might want. But one thing that is really nice is, okay, that's a loss. But the plus side of this is I don't need a lab supply kit. I just say, let's walk into our kitchen and spend time with our family. Let's explore the chemical changes that are happening right here in your everyday life we just missed them. And so in some ways, the regular brick and mortar school environment is sterilizing the reality of science and sterilizing the connection that we talk about education needs to be relevant. Well, here we are. We have a chance to really pour into the student's home environment and talk about how does this actually impact us? Why should you care? Every teacher hears every year, why do I need to learn this? But now I have this gift of saying, hey, let's talk about this intuitively. You know, you shouldn't touch that hot pan, but let's get into it. What's this about? What is happening here? And let's become natural born scientists again. Because when we were young, we did ask questions, lots of questions. Any person that has little small children knows it's lots of questions. But that creativity and that spark gets pulled away when we start adding these marks and grades and value statements on our students. And so I think one of the things that uh, initially I was bummed, I was like, oh, how are we going to do labs? Oh, well, we're in the home. We can talk about where we find these things. The student who is at work with their adult and the at the uh, food truck around the corner there's science to be had there. The student that is at school, there's science to be had there. So it's reminding students that learning is not just this thing that happens in this box. Learning is something that we can go throughout our whole day and it's there for us to wonder and ask good questions. So this conversation has been really fascinating to me and I know Mark would completely agree with this. So my final question to you is here we are coming up on March 2021. If you were to go back in time, what would you tell Jen in March 2020? What is something that you wish, and you maybe a couple of things, that you wish you would have known a year ago to help you become the teacher that you are now? What would you tell yourself back then? Buy more toilet paper. That was a real pain. Um, What would I tell myself in March of 2020? Wow, what a weird time. I think it was strange. I remember taking my computer and laptop and things home the day before spring break and was like, all right. And then I remember seeing the news that Austin has two cases. And I thought to myself, well, this is going to be interesting. And then South by got canceled. And I just kind of watched this slow kind of slow motion as we moved into this pandemic that I, I don't think anyone in March was really thinking would have the duration and impact 
it has had on us collectively. I think a lot of us were in this kind of, this is really strange. I guess I'll move through this together. And I think one of the things I would have told myself in March is I think I would have planned around giving myself more time to self-care and to breathe. We have to acknowledge that I could have said, oh, I, I do more trainings. I would learn more tech or I, none of that. At the end of the day, as educators, we bring ourselves. And if we don't have anything left to give ourselves, we cannot give anything to our community. And so I think giving myself and all other educators permission to breathe, permission to say, it's okay. It's not going to be perfect today. And you're not going to cover the whole scope and sequence today or this year or whenever, whatever that rule, take a breath. I would have said, start putting in place more space for you to take care of you. Because when I am able to take care of myself, I have just a little more ability to love on my students. And that's why we're all here as educators. We want to love and teach and grow our students. And so I think our worst days are as educators are those days when we come home and we go, I didn't get to love them in the way I wanted to today. I wasn't my best self today. So I don't think the answer in March would have been more PD, more training, more tech, more this. Those things are helpful. No one is going to deny that. But I think giving yourself as a permission that what you're doing, you are enough, you are valuable, and the work you can give today is good enough. And you will grow just as your students will grow. And believe that truth and everything else is just noise. Jen, you're in your fourth year of teaching. Did I calculate that right? Basically. This is my fourth year. Yes. This is your fourth year. You speak with such a maturity of a veteran teacher who has a lot more than three full years of teaching under your belt. And I, as, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm reflecting back to the limited time that I got to work with you and your colleagues with the new teacher program. I'm just, I'm blown away. You know, your perspective on things, it's impressive. And Mendez and that community is very, very lucky to have you working with those kids. I mean, I just wanted to share that. We're going to go completely off subject now. We did not get, send you these questions ahead of time. <laughs> That's fine. No, but no, we that's totally okay. We, we don't want you to think too hard. Just the first thing that pops into your head. So when we know the pandemic's over and we are, we know it's safe, scientifically proven hundred percent. We don't need masks. We don't need to physically distance. What's the first thing you're looking forward to doing? I really just want to have a cup of coffee with a friend closer than six feet. <laughs> Simple, but yes, that is awesome. Next question, your favorite Austin restaurant. Ooh, that's so challenging because now I'm living the deliver it to my door lifestyle with this pandemic. Is there a better deliver restaurant delivery? <laughs> You know, I don't know if I have a favorite restaurant. I think that I just have periods of time where I'm just like, I really need ramen. If I want ramen, I'm going to go to Michi. Or I really want to have some Colombian pastries. So I want to go to Plaza Colombia. Or I really want this. I'm kind of all over the map. And if I want a veggie burger, it's going to be at Bolden Creek Cafe. So you I, I don't know. You have your list. It just depends on your mood. Yeah. Because you're just, you rattle them off. Roll with it. So I, next time I'm like, okay, I'm in the mood for, I'm going to go ahead and, and send Jen an email and go, okay, Jen, I'm in the mood for this. And you'll be like, I got you. Yeah. I used to do prior <laughs> to teaching. I was a, I did events from ACL to South by to weddings, to corporate conferences. So I love all the restaurants that Austin has to offer. Cause it, occasionally I would have a client that would say, Hey, I really want to do this as catering. I'm like, well, you know, we should probably sample it first very so smart, very smart so you i think you'll like this follow-up question then as well asking you to narrow it down a little bit 
more. Your favorite place to get a taco in Austin? Oh, that is a problem question. <laughs> that is like fighting words for folks. If you, I know that's why we ask it. But Matt and I have our list here. <laughs> There's places we haven't gone. You know, I don't even know exactly the name. It is around the corner from Mendez, and it is inside the gas station on William Cannon in Pleasant Valley. And I had a colleague that said, "Hey, we've got an extra long lunch today," and I was like, "Okay," which is like golden if you're not a teacher. It's golden to hear that. And so I said, "Well, what do we have time for?" And she said, "This taco place around the corner." So I think about that taco place because I like connecting um, with our community and connecting with our students and their families. And that is local to our community in Dove Springs. So I like that taco place. But I'm really um, I'm an equal opportunist. So in Houston, kolaches are like super popular. And so when I moved to Austin, people are like, oh, we eat breakfast tacos here. It's like, you do what? So I'm not really an egg person, but I figured out a way to adapt. I think I've got my local card, so I will not turn down a taco. Those are such amazing suggestions. And yes, like Mark said, we definitely have our, our list running. So we appreciate that. So it has been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. And so one of the things that we um, have our, our guests do is end our podcast episodes with an opportunity for you to just share some inspiring words. However you want to shape these words, they can be addressing the Mendez community, the Austin ISD community. But if you were to just give us some uplifting, motivational words, what would you say? So since it is February, and I just really want to elevate and honor voices of African American folks in our community and in our nation's history, I really just want to elevate Audre Lorde's quote, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation and that is an act of political warfare. So I think the reason why that quote really sticks with me is that it is self-preservation and that in itself, making sure that we can stay whole and get through this together is radical in of itself. The choices we have to make are radical choices and whatever that looks like for you, that's what you need to be doing right now. And you should be brave and be emboldened to make those choices. And it's okay. You are doing enough. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Please be sure to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. These podcasts are produced by the Professional Learning Department of the Austin Independent School District. Follow us on Twitter at AustinISDPL. Until next time, stay safe, my friends.